Our reading for tonight, which will serve as the basis for our meditation, is taken from the ninth chapter of the book of Genesis, written by inspiration through Moses, beginning with verse 18. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk, and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. Here ends our reading. Let us join our hearts in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that on account of the work of your dear Son, our Savior, that you have dressed us in the righteousness of his perfection so that we stand as your saints before you by faith. Continue to preserve us in this faith and cause our hearts and our minds and our actions to live out this faith in our day-to-day lives as we represent you to the various people in our lives. We ask all of this in the name of your crucified and risen Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed who have been purchased and bought back to God by the suffering, death, and resurrection of his only Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God's grace and kindness, his compassion are yours to be found only in that Savior. Amen. There are a lot of cute little stories and storybooks that have been written about Noah's Ark. And uh, if you look at most of them, they're often written primarily for children. And they depict the animals, kind of the cute fuzzy animals, and Noah with the bird and so on, and, and uh, kind of this cute little boat. It's probably done a great disservice, however, to the Christian faith through the years to depict this tremendous story in the scripture in quite that way. If you really read the account in the book of Genesis, it, it's not a cute little kid story at all. It's, it's rather a horrific event of God's judgment of the evil on the earth. But then also how God spared this family, Noah and his sons and their wives, and brought them through this with the magnificent ark. But the story that I just read tonight that follows on the heels of that is probably not a story that your parents read to you when you were reading those cute little books about Noah and the ark. This kind of gives us the ugly side of the story. And we see Noah in all of his sinfulness uncovered before the world. It's quite something, isn't it, to think of this amazing patriarch who's mentioned dozens of times in the Bible. And this event is one of those great towering events in the Bible. God hand selects him and his family to be the very one who would preserve humanity after this calamitous flood to repopulate the earth, that everybody in this room can claim as one of our ancestors, that God selects this one individual patriarch who builds the ark for for a period of over a hundred years. And yet here we see him laying in such a degrading position. 
I've seen somebody passed out drunk a number of times in my life, but one that really reminds me of this was over in Ukraine years ago. And I was in a park with hundreds of people, and there was one man who was face down in a mud puddle with nothing but his underwear on, drunk and passed out, and beer cans all around him. And nobody wanted to even be around him. It was such a degrading looking sight. When I was a student here at Bethany, one night in the gymnasium, some of us had been playing late at night, and a student, one of our fellow students came in that was so drunk and had been smoking pot so much that he passed out on the floor of the gym. And students had to take him back and, uh, to his room. And we actually set up shifts of people every hour to sit with him so he didn't regurgitate into his own breathing and possibly die. It's one of the most deplorable looking sights, one of the ugliest scenes of humanity. And we see that laying before us here with this image of Noah. And that's not the only sin. It's not just drunkenness that displays the ugliness of our sin. There are many different little events in our lives where God could easily just pop in and provide a, an image of each one of us in some way, in some degrading way that demonstrates the evil that lurks inside of all of us. God, notice in the Bible, doesn't hide the sins of his saints from us. God doesn't try to sweep them under the rug and, and act like, like uh, his, his saints before him and those who believe in him have just never had these problems or sins in their lives. Rather, he makes sure that every one of them, in some way, shape, or form, is displayed before us likewise with their sinfulness to show us that even the great heroes of faith have struggled with this sinful human nature that you and I still possess in this life. We think about Abraham lying frequently about his wife not really being his wife. We think of Lot, likewise drunk, one of the people that God warned to get out of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to spare him. And yet, just in the next chapter, he's drunk with his daughters, having incestuous sex with them. We think about King David, hand-selected by God, and one through whom many of the Psalms would be written. And yet going out on the porch and asking a woman who's not his wife to come up and sleep with him, impregnating her, killing her husband. It's amazing the evil that can just lurk inside of us. Peter, denying multiple times that he even had anything to do with Christ, calling down condemnation from God on himself if he was telling, wasn't telling the truth. And Jesus had just warned him about it a few hours earlier. Our fickle, sinful human nature can just fall into such depravity at certain times. We see Noah's sons responding to this. His first son, Canaan, that's mentioned, uh, makes a, or a ham, excuse me, makes a mockery of him, goes back and tells his brothers, you got to see dad. Come in and see him in this horrible condition, this great man of God that had just come off of the ark. We think of all the conversations that, that these, this family probably had on the ark during the extensive period of time that they were in there together, thinking about how God had communicated with them, talking about the coming Messiah, all the conversations they probably had, probably family devotions and worship in the ark. And here's their dad now, lying face down drunk in the tent. And the two other sons 
are so disgusted by it that they have to walk in backwards with sheets over their shoulders in order to cover up their father's nakedness. They didn't want to see their loved one in such an ugly, depraved condition. What a picture of your gracious God toward you and me. God does not want to see you or me in the ugliness of our sin. But he has chosen, because he loves you and me, he has chosen to take the white robe of our Lord's righteousness, to walk backwards toward us, and to cover us with that, with that covering of our Savior's holiness. This dress that we have received from Christ is now where our true beauty is to be found. This is the glorious dress that God wants you to wear by faith so that someday you can wear that same outfit as you stand before his throne in heaven. Listen to how the writer to the Hebrews talks about Noah in the book of Hebrews in the Great Heroes of Faith chapter. He says, by faith Noah condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He became an inheritor of that. He inherited it. It was a gift from God placed on him. This holy, perfect covering that needed to be placed over him in his wickedness and depravity of his sin so that he could, he could appear holy and righteous before God. And he possessed that simply by having faith. St. Paul says the same thing about himself when he writes to the congregation in Philippi. He says, I do not have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I haven't kept God's commandments so great that, that I can hold that up before God. He says, but I have that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And that's, that's the wonderful comfort we have. This gracious God who's walked in backwards on you and me and laid this covering of Jesus' perfect life on you and wraps you in that and makes it your gown, makes it your robe, and says, this is how I want to look at you. This is how I want to judge you someday when you come before my throne on judgment day. It's that holy righteousness that you now actually have and possess by this simple little thing inside of you called faith. Now, one last point. We must be careful when we hear about the sins of certain saints, maybe even people in your own life, people that you respect, maybe your parents or a pastor or a teacher. We must be careful when we hear about the sins of certain saints that we don't use that to take free license for our own sins, as if to say, well, look, they could live like that. Apparently, that gives approval to me to live like that. As if somehow, because God displays this for us, that he doesn't really take sin seriously. If you want to see how sin is taken seriously, look at a cross. Stare at that for a while. That's how, that's how God shows you and me how seriously he takes our sin. His own son had to come into this world to suffer the consequences for our guilt, to be completely abandoned by God, to be rejected by him, to feel hell for him. God does take our sin seriously. We should instead feel sadness when we see the fellow saints of God falling back into sin and struggling with that. And it should cause us to remember that our real sainthood is not in us. It's in the very clothing that God has dressed us in through faith in Christ.
The thief on the cross was so wicked in his life that they had to execute him and get rid of him. And yet in his dying moments, God dressed him in that beautiful robe of Christ's righteousness, and he was promised everlasting life in heaven. And he will be welcomed, he is welcomed into heaven in exactly the same way would be St. Paul, in the same way that God promises to welcome you by grace alone. Be faithful unto death, your Lord says, and I will give you the crown of life. Amen.